The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for news, tips, techniques, strategies, and all the latest information about getting and staying on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. The Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati has had all of its meetings now for the month of August, but has a very exciting meeting coming up on September 1st with National Bank-Owned Property Expert Andy Heller. That meeting is September the 1st. It is open to the public. Andy is actually covering both meetings. He's going to do a question and answer session on bank-owned properties and lease options at the 6 o'clock meeting and his presentation on how those things work together to create a fortune for you even as a part-time investor at the 7.30 meeting. That is guest night, and we will be offering bonuses and prizes for folks who Bring guests to Cincinnati REIA. You can get more information at CincinnatiREIA.com or at 859-292-7342. My guest tonight is David Alexander, best known perhaps as the owner of BanditSigns.com, but also a real-life real estate investor since 1997. Now, Dave has been through up markets and down markets during that time and um, basically made a decision during the last big correction that uh, it was time to stop with tenants and the toilets and the negative cash flow and come up with something completely new. And that completely new thing is what we are discussing tonight as Dave joins us from probably the parking lot of a Whataburger in his home in Dallas, Texas. Dave, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are in the parking lot of the Whataburger, aren't you? I absolutely am. I I, I I figured I figured you were. Um, one of the things that uh, you need to know about Dave listeners is that um, he runs his business on a on a fairly um, informal basis, as in he meets all of his clients at Whataburger, which is a a chain down in Texas, uh, generally dressed in shorts and a shirt with Spider Man on it or something of that nature. And uh, does not believe in keeping regular hours or lots of staff around. So um, this is uh, this is going to be uh, probably an unusual interview. Uh, we want to welcome your questions, and I'm sure you'll have a lot at 513-772-9658 if you're here in the greater Cincinnati area. 877-772-9658 if you're listening to us on the web, or you can always send us an email at askvina 
at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V-E-N-A at gmail.com. Now, Dave, as I was writing up the e-letter to send out in front of this show, I... I had a hard time in the in the paragraph that I generally write even describing what it is you do as a real estate strategy. So would you give us a thumbnail sketch of the kind of properties you work with and the kind of deals you put together? Okay. Most most of most of the deals most of the deals I put together are, are typic are, are prettier properties. It's that's not not so much of the you know, the low end stuff. I mean I do do some of that, but my strategy works best in the properties where, um, well, a lot of the places where like a lot of these guys are trying to do short sales and stuff. Except, um, you know, it, the stuff that's probably, you know, newer. I would say within ten to fifteen years old, and some of it five years and newer. Um, but that I, I prefer the the clean deals. You're not worried about you know there's no maintenance and all that kind of stuff. That's where the the vast majority of, of my stuff works. Um, the now down here in Texas. Our median range is about 150-ish, 155-ish, and so where the, the typical house that I buy is in the 120, 130 range. Mm-hmm. Um, is that so? Just I, um, just short yeah, of just short of what would be the the dead median. Uh, so yep. so we're really we're really talking here about a starter home price range, but in the newer suburbs instead of some of the older suburbs that I'm sure are also around Dallas. Yes, yes. And now, now I do houses in some of the some of the older suburbs. That's just a, the nature of the way I do my marketing. But but it you know if if I pick up a rental property, I don't rent it. I sell it to a landlord. If I pick up a rehab property, I don't rehab it. I sell it to a rehabber. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so that I mean that's just that's what I've learned. I, what you were talking about that correction before, I um, you know what what I I didn't want to ever end up back. I mean, I mean I. I had so many rentals, and I was buying houses so fast way back early on before our correction here in Texas, our, our first correction, that I was just stacking up houses, and I couldn't fix them fast enough to and to get them sold, and so we just started renting them out, and and that turned out to be a, a bad deal for me. In fact, in fact, I believe at one point you were fifteen thousand dollars a month negative in cash flow. Yeah. Yep, I went from the peak of it was was almost twenty thousand. The best month it was, for, it was almost for a year and a half. The best month was for about eight thousand, and but for that year and a half, it it stayed right around twelve to fifteen thousand dollars for for almost all that time. And um, at that point, I mean, I had to question whether I wanted to be in the real estate business anymore. I mean, it was like um, we had a correction in Texas in two thousand one, and I owned way too much property, and I found out. The problems with leveraged property and 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 all the things that that I'd done with you know with rentals and um, you know a lot of a lot of people tell you about well if you have a couple hundred dollars a month cash flow on a property with a thousand dollar mortgage that you know that that's good but I found out it wasn't because it turns out that whenever you have you know ten people don't pay you you're eating ramen noodles the next week mm-hmm. and and so it was uh, yeah it was a pretty pretty scary time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so the the uh the the strategy that you you switched over to uh nearly exclusively involves the the pretty houses that are newer houses and that's you know that's not uncommon i i know a lot of people who prefer to yep. to use those but it is in the way in which you acquire and dispose of them 
that yep. we're really looking at something completely different, at least than anything we've discussed here on Real Life Real Estate. Now, with that, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, we will talk about the whole financing strategy that's involved here. And listeners, you are not going to want to turn off your radio or computer because this is going to be interesting stuff. 772-9658 if you're in the greater Cincinnati area. 877-772-9658 if you're listening to us on the web or send us any questions at askvina at gmail.com. Thank you. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is David Alexander. Um, most people know his name or his face because of his uh, banditscience.com business, but uh, he's also fairly well known around the country as an instructor. Um, in fact, he, I did a survey uh, on Facebook and to my list about I don't know, two months ago, I guess, and said, you know, who is your favorite instructor in the whole country that's not me? And I, I was surprised to find that Dave was the, the most mentioned person uh, because he does not generally travel around the country and, you know, speak to groups and so on. Although he is going to be one of our Thursday all-day speakers at the upcoming National New Strategies Summit in Columbus, Ohio on November 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th, which we will be talking more about in two weeks during Fun Drive. So you'll have a chance to attend that, maybe even for a discounted price, we'll see, and uh, check out Dave in his all-day session on Thursday. So uh, Dave, we left everybody hanging with, um, okay, so uh, Dave found this way of not dealing with tenants, not dealing with toilets, not dealing with negative cash flow, and yet making money from pretty houses. thumbnail sketch how does that work well when i got into this business originally i came in the back door um i always wanted to be in the note business i never wanted to own houses um i always um i was taught by my mentors and things that you know you control not own so i always wanted to be a note a note owner and um and so it was a function that in order to own notes i would buy houses and sell them with owner financing and then i was taught well don't let go of the house um you know, sell it on contract for deed and keep hold of the house and keep control of the house and control everything. And that, that ended up almost being my, my demise in 2001. So when I, when I redid this system, when I went back and did all the, the soul searching for everything, I wanted a system that, that would work, work repeatedly over and over and over, but I didn't want all the risk. And again, the tenants, toilets, fixing, none of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted the checks that I cash to be checks, money in the bank. Um, I mean, that's all we're, that's, that's what we're in this for, you know? Um, so basically I, I figured out a way to go out here and I own or finance everything exclusively, which right now, by the way, is, um, pretty doggone amazing. The banks aren't financing anybody and, um, you know, except for maybe a handful of local small banks, but I mean, the down payments we're getting, I got a $15,000 down payment on a $49,000 house here a little over a month ago. Um, but we're getting just huge down payments on houses now because nobody's financing anything. So the people that are buying, they, they have money to put down. And um, uh, But we're, we're out here, and I sell an owner financing, but I create a situation where uh, I find I market to find a buyer. I turn around, I market to find a seller. And, I mean, no different. I, I just uh, I create the financing in, in place while it's there, and and I, I sell the house. Um, and once that's done, I walk away with, with an owner finance note in most cases and, and a check the cash. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Occasionally, somebody trades 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 me a a car or something else for part of a down payment. But you know, um, but for the most part, I you know end up in a in a really good position with with a very limited risk position. Um, it's uh, I get around. I don't have to worry about the Safe Act because the way I do things, the new owner financing acts that are that are out there, I I'm, I don't have to deal with any of that. Um, I don't have to worry about seasoning, all that stuff that normal investors deal with. Um, my system that I've created it back in 2003 and I've been doing it ever since. I mean, I haven't missed a beat while all these other people were, were scrambling for the doors. We just kept right on going through it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that all sounds awesome. You know, spread without risk, pretty houses, etc. But I, I still don't understand how it is that you are acquiring these properties because that you mentioned banks aren't especially anxious to lend money to people these days. And they're particularly not anxious to lend money to oh self-employed real estate entrepreneurs such as yourself. So, okay. if there's a hundred and twenty thousand dollar house to be bought, how are you buying it? Okay. Well, um, a lot of people know what buying subject to is, um, and essentially, um, for the most part out there, uh, it's a very similar strategy to buying subject to. So, we, what that means is, is you. You buy the house, leaving the existing financing in place, and um, so you find your sellers, and and most houses have existing financing, you know, currently still in place. So that hundred twenty thousand dollar house you're talking about, somebody might need to sell it, and maybe they're headed for foreclosure or something, and maybe they're, you know, a couple payments behind or or, or something on that property, but they owe ninety thousand on it, and and they just need to get out of the deal, and so you you turn around and, and you work a deal with them to buy their house. Um, and and you'll leave the existing financing in place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now we've got we've got the house acquired, and uh, okay. you know we've got we've got. Uh, by the way, anyone who's listening to the show and is going, wait a minute, I don't know what a subject to is. We have several archived shows on iTunes about subject to as its own separate acquisition strategy. So you can always go back and and listen to one of those if you just got lost. But I I think you're right. I think most people are familiar with the idea of I'm going to buy the house but not pay off the loan and then the loan will get paid, uh, you know, as as I'll make the payments as opposed to paying off the loan. But the thing is, you don't really make the payments, do you? No, no. Um, um, We... um it depends on the situation. Um, when we we turn around and we did markets, so you're talking about the other side of the transaction. We did market with owner financing to find our buyer, and once we find a buyer, we have a, a a system where we put the buyer and the seller together, and we make all the profit. Now, depending on the situation, we create what's called a wraparound loan, wraparound financing around the whole deal. So, in the case of the hundred twenty thousand around the ninety thousand, the way it would shake out was let's say we have a buyer and they come along and they put ten thousand dollars down. All the hundred twenty thousand dollars. They put ten thousand dollars down. Well, of course, we'd have to, you know, because we're leaving the loan in place, we'd have to take two thousand dollars and catch up those back payments on that existing financing. So that would only leave us with eight thousand net cash. Net cash. Mm-hmm. And then the out of the hundred twenty thousand dollars sell price, we got ten thousand down, so we'd have hundred and ten thousand dollars left over. The new buyer would owe us hundred and ten thousand dollars, and we would create a wraparound loan around. The existing financing, which would be ninety thousand, since the two thousand was already paid, so there would be a twenty thousand dollar profit spread. And typically, we we set that up to where we, we do it several different ways. To where you know the, the new buyer they're making the making the payments, so we never have any any payments to make. Um, you know, but we're in a situation where we're also a lien holder, 
so that we, um, you know, we, we, like I said, we've minimized our risk that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're on the same page with the seller. The seller understands this. We're not obligated to make any payments the way we set this up. Um, it's, you know, we, we've, we've, we've cleaned up in the old school world, the, the way the sub two transaction works. And so, um, uh, the, the new buyer comes in, they're making payments, uh, they're doing it and, you know, we monitor it, make sure, and, and, and we're set up in a position to foreclose to protect our interest if we need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, that, I mean, that's, that's it in a nutshell. Well, now let's let's clarify something here because one of the okay. things that I, I'm, I'm not sure that a lot of listeners are going to be familiar with is this idea of the wraparound mortgage. It, that That's okay. something that, oh, we used to see that used so much back in the 80s and 90s when there were still, it, it, when, when interest rates were 15% and there yep. were still yep. all these loans out there from the 70s at seven. <laughs> and a lot, of, yeah. a lot of people did this thing called a wraparound mortgage, but they kind of fell out of vogue in the, you know, from 95 to 2007, because interest rates were so low, they were low, they were going lower and lower and lower. And because it was so easy to get financing that there was no real reason to do the wraparound. So uh, describe uh, what a wraparound mortgage or in Texas, it would be a wraparound deed of trust is. Okay. Um, Essentially, um, basically, we'll take that $90,000 loan as an example. We'll say that it had a a 6% interest rate. And for argument's sake, I don't know what the 90000 at 6% the payments would be, but we'll call it $700. Um, that's probably a little high, but we'll call it $700 for right now. And then we have our $110,000 loan that we make, and my nominal interest rate that I use is always 7.9% to start out. Um, and so I would literally create my loan, and the underlying loan would stay in place. So think of it like a, a burrito. I mean, like literally a you know the tortilla wrapped around the burrito. So the bottom loan would stay in place, and the new people would, would – um, we set it up to where they they pay the um, it, it's a, it's a second mortgage is what a wraparound loan actually is, and so they're going to turn around they're going to pay on the first mortgage and and the second mortgage and we can do that in several ways. One we can have that paid into a, a servicing company where they pay the whole payment. So the, on the hundred ten thousand dollar loan, we'll say the payments were a thousand dollars. So the new people would come in and they'd pay a thousand dollars and they might pay it to a servicing company, and the six hundred would go to the bottom loan and the three hundred would go to the top loan. Or we have them pay directly to the, the bank and then to us. Either way, we, depending on the situation, is, is how we set it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, so basically, basically, a, a wraparound a, a wraparound loan is is a it is in second position. Yes. And but the amount is such that it includes the amount of the first mortgage. So in this example that you're using, there's a ninety thousand dollar first mortgage that the seller originated with his bank. And then there was also a $110,000 mortgage that the buyer originated with you. So it yes. looks like there's $200,000 worth of financing on that property, but there is not because the 110 in the, quote, second mortgage is intended to include the $90,000 in the first mortgage. So your, your buyer is not going to have to pay $200,000 to pay off those loans. They pay 110 to you and you pay 90 to pay off uh, the additional the additional loan exactly. so that's our yeah. <laughs> that's, that's our let, little let that's our little funny... two minute lesson on wraparound mortgages there. Yeah, um, let me give you a funny story about that real mm-hmm. quick. Kind of you got just a real quick one. Um, back this was several years ago, but you see those wraparound mortgages fell out fell out of favor. We had an eighty five thousand dollar wraparound mortgage on a property. The people refinanced and paid us off, and the title company called us up, asked for payoff. We gave it to them, and they wired us 
$85,000. The problem was, is our underlying, we owed like $32,000 on it. And um, I had to, I turned around and I called the uh, title company. I said, look, you know, we owe you $32,000 to pay off this mortgage. And they were like, oh, no, no, we, we owe you the full $85,000. So they wired $85,000 on our bank account. And, and now we didn't want to get any trouble or anything else, so we quickly yanked the 32000 off. We literally drove. The bank was a local bank and, and, and drove the money over there and, and, and paid off that first mortgage, got the receipt, took it to the title company, and had that lady. And that lady just looked at us dumbfounded. She's like, oh, my God, you could have went to you know Vegas or whatever on the money. I'm like, yeah, that might have worked for about a year. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, that, <laughs> um, that exact same thing y'all. happened to us three days ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> we could we couldn't get the title company to understand that both mortgages had to be paid off, and we only got the difference. <laughs> so yeah. we got to check yeah. for the entire amount. Um, okay, so what we have here is we have a seller who's got a good fixed rate, low rate, yep, under market mortgage. We've got a yep. buyer who's agreeing to pay a higher interest rate a higher price, and higher monthly payments. The big difference here between the way you do this and the way most people do it is most people would, they would acquire the property in their own name. They would become responsible for the mortgage payments on the seller's underlying loan. And then they would sit there for two or three months and wait to find somebody who was going to move in on the other side. And they'd probably lease option the property to the buyer or sell it on a contract for deed or something of that nature. But in the meantime, there's payments to be made. And you have completely avoided that in a way that we are going to discuss right after this break. We're going to take calls with any questions about Dave's strategy at 513-772-9658 in the greater Cincinnati area. 877-772-9658 if you're outside of greater Cincinnati or askbina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Gux. My guest today is David Alexander of BanditSigns.com, but also of David Alexander's own investing company. Um, Just got a question, Dave, from Willie, who is also in Texas, uh, via email, via askvina at gmail.com. He says, Dave, I want to know if you need to have a real estate license to do this. You said you put buyers and sellers together. Isn't that something that you need a license to do? Um, No. Um, because the the way we structure the, the deals, anytime you you sign a contract to purchase a house, um, you are the principal in the transaction. And so, um, no, in fact, actually, in, in most cases, when I'm talking to people, I mean, I'm not sure how you do things, but I always tell people, well, I, you know, I'd, I'd rather not have it licensed myself. Um, but no, once once you sign a contract to purchase a house, you're the principal in the uh, in the deal, and you have the right to uh, to sell that deal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay, now. The complexity of any finance deal is not usually in, you know, the rehab or the stuff we usually call dealing with contractors, the the things that we usually consider in the true real estate business to be uh, complex. It's the paperwork. It's, It's making sure that the right people are signing the right documents and they're getting recorded in the right ways. What what is the flow of paperwork here? I mean, you start with you just said you start with a signed purchase contract with a seller that I assume yeah. says I'll buy your house 
for $92,000 subject to the existing loan and pay 2000 in back payments whenever I get it sold. Yep. And then what? And then you sign a purchase agreement with somebody that's going to buy it for 120000 with $10,000 down. And, um, and you take it to the title company and, and they close it. And it's pretty simple because, um, like in most cases where, and like I was formally taught in the subject to world and everything else where you use the, the trust and all that kind of stuff. I don't do any of that stuff. I use just, I just go to a title company and say, Hey, we're doing an owner financing transaction. And that's it. They just simply close an owner finance transaction. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we, we buy and sell the property and it was with owner financing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there, there's not, you know, it's, it's, you know, if you're in a mortgage state, they use a mortgage. If you're in a, a deed of trust state, they use a, a deed of trust. And so that's the, um, I mean, it, it, like I so said, that's it, you, you, the whole idea is to keep the transactions clean and simple. Um, you know, I always have this saying, you know, you want to walk like a duck, talk like a duck, and act like a duck. Um, you don't want stuff where the, where the, uh, now they, the creative investor, he's kind of a, he's kind of a bad guy. You know, they're, you know, everybody wants the, you know, they don't want these the short sale guys and these guys, and you know, they, 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 they want, they want the transaction to be clean. And so I want my transactions to look as clean as possible with all the title companies. And so, um, you know, that's, we just keep it with, with their standard paperwork. And if, you know, every now and then, like you said, owner financing hasn't been done in a long time with wraparounds. And so, we we turn around and we fax them a you know a copy of a wraparound mortgage or a wraparound deed of trust and say here's you know here's what so and so you can check with your branch title companies and and we get it done. Mm-hmm. Now at that closing, the deed I assume transfers directly from your seller to your buyer without without having transferred to you in between. Yes, we're able to accomplish that. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yep. So so. When the when the dust settles from the closing, the uh-huh. seller walks away with no house, which is what he yep. wanted, <laughs> and no yep. and no house yep. payment, which is what he wanted, yep. uh-huh. and a caught up loan, which is what he wanted, yep. because the buyer's going to yep. pay enough down to pay off any back payments. Uh, the the buyer walks away with the deed to a house, yep. and with a mortgage to Dave. For yep. in the example we've been using, a hundred and ten thousand dollars with instructions as to where to send the payments and uh-huh. so on. What does Dave walk away with? What do I walk away with? Mm-hmm. I walk away with all the money in in the, in the note. Okay. I walk away with all the profit. Okay, so you walk around. You walk away with whatever the difference is in down payment between what the what the uh, yes. buyer paid and what the, what the seller the needed. Did, I walk away with ten thousand dollars down payment, mm-hmm. and then I, then there's a hundred ten thousand dollar note minus a ninety thousand dollar wrap, and I walk away with that that twenty thousand dollar profit spread. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. second mortgage. Mm-hmm. Okay, so and now the the buyer is making payments not to the seller because it was no. It was his bank that was getting the payments anyway. Uh, probably, probably making them to to a servicing company, which, by the way, is just another way of saying making them to you. The servicing company's job is to take in the payments, take out whatever part is taxes and insurance, send that to the right people, take out the part that belongs to Dave, send that to Dave, and take out the part that belongs to the seller's bank, and give it to the seller's bank. That's right. That's why a lot of people, exactly. a lot of people in this part of the country, don't use servicing companies, but. Boy, they're very handy for doing that kind of thing because they don't they charge like three dollars and fifty cents or something like that. To, I mean, it's really yeah. cheap, like seventeen bucks a month or something to to have all that yeah. to have all that done. And of course, that also means that Dave doesn't have to handle any checks, which makes Dave happy because Dave's lazy. 
I mean, yep. I mean, efficient. And, yeah, efficient. There you go. Yeah, yeah. We, we, and we even have more efficient ways to do things nowadays. But we also charge a servicing fee to our person that's buying, so we cover that fee. Okay. So it, okay. So now, 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 this this buyer is in this house, but you really haven't seen your big profit yet. You saw, no. you saw, you saw a nice. I mean, you know. We were calculating eight thousand dollars because, in this example, the seller was two thousand dollars behind on his mortgage payments. But you've seen eight, but there's still twenty in there somewhere for you. At what point are you going to receive that? Okay, all right. Now, typically, the way that works is now. Let me give you a little background on that real quick. Back in back in um, two thousand one, whenever I was having a lot of negative cash flow problems, an interesting thing happened to me. I had put a lot of properties on contract for deed with balloons, and that's when I found out that, like, you know, basically what I say, balloons are for clouds. Um, because when you, you'd come up to the balloon, and if you let your person know and they couldn't get refinanced, they moved out in the middle of the night, you ended up with another property back. And, and the worst thing in my life that I want is the property back. I want the money. I don't, I don't care about the properties. I want the money. Um, and so what I learned, I had two properties that I had put on what's called a rising interest rate, just a small – little 1% bump a year. And both those properties cashed out. One of them cashed out within like uh, 14 months, and the other one cashed out in, it was just a little over two years. Um, and I realized, oh my gosh, why didn't I catch that sooner? And so now I put all my properties on a rising interest rate so that the people are incentivized to refinance me. They don't have to, but they're incentivized to refinance me. And then that along with um, a system, um, which was the other part I figured out, you know, I was talking about earlier how you had on each property, you might have an average of, say, $200 a month cash flow. And if you have 50 properties, that's $10,000 a month. And for most people, that's golf time. That's time to go golf and you're, you know, you're, you're retired. But the truth is that's not where the real money is because that's leveraged money. And so what I figured out was that if you could learn to get these properties to cash out on the back end, that's where the real money was because that's the money that you can go and you can reinvest you can get buy free and clear assets or invest in businesses and stocks and all the other stuff that you want to do. Mm-hmm. And that's and have the greatest income without the leverage. And so that's what I started working on. And what we do is we have a system where, um, you know, you'll work with a mortgage broker and you'll, um, you'll, you'll, you'll do direct mailings, um, to your, to your people as you're, as you're mailing out their payment statements to get them to refinance. Um, and typically that's going to happen, which was the question you asked. That's it. Well, it was happening, right around the oh, 24 to 26 month mark. But nowadays it happens around the um, uh, probably about it's closer to the 28th. Uh, it's, it's just before three years mm-hmm. is, is when it's happening now. It's take, taking a little bit longer. It's kind of extended with people doing it. And, you know, our goal is to keep people in properties and not to push them out. To even pay their payments until they refi that big check to us. Mm-hmm. That big check. And so we, we're very tight on collections. We want them to to pay their payments on time, and once we put them in a property, refinancing is a heck of a lot easier than um, than purchasing a property. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, got a question here from Kirk, who is in. Oh, come on, folks! When you send an email to askvina at gmail dot com, please tell us where you're writing from, because it it makes a difference, you know, deed of trust states, mortgage states. Uh, there's all sorts of, of, uh, of, of little minor differences that you may not be aware of, but it would help us to know where you are from. Uh, so Kirk says, 
I hate to ask the obvious question, but what happens when the quote buyer and he puts he puts that in quotes stops making payments? Okay, um, the obvious question is you foreclose. Um, if you're if you're building your business right, you're doing it right. You're building up reserve for those incidents. Um, your your foreclosure stuff is going to be less than five percent because of the way you, you collect things, because of the good down payments you get from people. Um, but it's going to be less than five percent of the properties you have. Um, and so it's fairly easy to build up a reserve for that, um, no matter where you're in. We have people all over the place doing. I'm in Texas, um, and I have a rather, and I get the argument all the time. I have a rather fast foreclosure state. It's uh, 21 days here in Texas, except that it actually takes you 45. Um, and the the, but I'm doing it all over. I mean, we're, we we've got deals in New Jersey, which is a long foreclosure state. Uh, Nashville, Tennessee, we just did some. I mean, we're we're doing them everywhere. So. It's um, it doesn't um, it doesn't matter what it, it just matters that you build the proper reserves for for whatever you're doing for, to, to build the business. That's, uh, uh, don't you find though that most of the time, if a buyer in the situation can't make the payments, that they're they're going to give you a quit claim deed voluntarily rather than go through a foreclosure? Absolutely, that's the truth. That's the truth. The truth is, is you'll you'll have a relationship with most of them, and um, I just did one like that here about three weeks ago. Is a property that we had, and and the folks were the guy got called back into the military and and went through a little divorce and stuff. And we picked him up and called him and said, "Look, we're just going to send you this paperwork. We need you to sign it. No harm, no foul. We won't we won't pressure you if you don't mess with us." And we got him to sign a release and all that kind of stuff. And he sent it back. And then we turn around and we're remarketing the property. And and uh, right now we're actually going to do better on the property than we did with him. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good. When we come back from the break, we're going to answer a couple of more listener questions that have come in by email. If you'd like to be brave and call the show, number 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. The email is askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest is Dave Alexander, who is a featured speaker at the upcoming Ohio Rea National New Strategies Summit that's happening first weekend in November, and which we will be talking much more about in our show in a couple of weeks. Uh, Dave's going to be doing an all-day presentation on the details of this strategy that we can't get into in an hour long program um, question here in a, in a really good one. My listeners are on the ball and they remember to ask the questions that I don't remember to answer. Uh, this is from, this is from Steve in Omaha, Nebraska. He says, I don't understand who the deed gets quit claimed to Dave is never the owner of the property. And surely you don't want to quit claim it back to the seller. <laughs> all right once once you once you do it you're going to be marketing to find a new buyer pretty quickly and so there's a little logistics there um sometimes we'll have a we'll have a deed signed and we'll have a quick claim deed signed and, and left blank to who our new buyer will be so to go straight for them and occasionally on rare occasion i will take one back into a trust very temporarily, and then deed it right back out of the trust. But I, I try to, I try to avoid that. I try nothing to ever, ever come through through me. I, I don't like being on title. Um, I like all the transactions to be pretty clean. So, but most of the time, it's it's our um, 
the the person that was in the property that that person is selling back to our uh, our new buyer. Mm-hmm. So it, it worked out pretty well. Mm-hmm. It's um, because then we're allowed to market it as a foreclosure and all sorts of stuff. So which is a, a good way to sell properties, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Stan was right on that, though, wasn't he? <laughs> He's right on that. That's, that's good, yeah. Who does, right it, on who does it quit, 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 quit claim to? Okay, a uh, question here from Cindy in Cincinnati. Uh, she says, I have not done exactly what David is doing, but I have bought properties subject to and then sold them on lease option. What do you do when your home with a purchase price of 120 only comps for 116 when the buyer needs to buy? I love it. <laughs> okay. Um, well, we, I mean, we actually do a lot of deals like that where there's no equity. Um, I'm working on one right now. Um, but we're able to sell because we're creating financing. We're able to sell them. And you have to change the marketing strategy up a bit. Um, but we're able to sell them and, and still even sometimes wrap the existing loan because the interest rate will be low and occasionally we're not and we, we pick up the money. We do what's called, at that point we do what's called a sub three assignment where we just pick up the cash on the front end and we really not make anything on the back. However, we do monitor that underlying loan to make sure that the new buyer is making payments. We monitor that for a period typically of at least six months but usually a year. Um, to make sure that there's a good payment history there because mm-hmm. we don't want them uh, defaulting uh, on, on a transaction that we've done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, the um, – um, but, yeah, I do deals like that all the time. I mean, we're, we – the one I was talking about in New Jersey, you know, that was actually done about a year ago, one of the deals we did up there, and that deal absolutely had no equity in it. It was a – Property that was, and I'm going by memory here. There was 155,000 owed. It was worth 145,000. Um, it had been sitting on the market for almost two years, and um, the uh, we we did that deal there. Made 17,000. Pumped it right. It's unlikely that in two years it would be different. So, Dave, uh, we're going to wrap up the show with a challenge to you, which is okay. you you gave an example where. You sold a house worth one forty-five for. Uh, you sold it subject to a hundred and fifty-two thousand dollar loan and got fifteen thousand dollars down, which means overall that buyer paid one hundred and sixty-seven thousand dollars for a house that you just said was only worth one forty-five. Yep, absolutely. Ju- justify that to the world. Justify that to the world. <laughs> um, the interest rate on the property was like six percent. This buyer couldn't get financing anyway. They wanted the house. They knew the values, um, so there wasn't, you know, wasn't a question of that. It was just the way we marketed it. Um, so I mean, they're they're still in the house, and I mean, they're it's it. I don't have a problem with it because again, nobody else is financing. What we do right now is we're needed in the marketplace, and we're solving problems on both sides of the both sides of the equation. Uh, the seller couldn't sell. They weren't. Nobody was going to come in with a new loan and get this thing done and in this case the seller was already she was already gone to florida and she'd been sitting there making payments on this property for two years mm-hmm. um and it, the she, i think she i think it was her third realtor that had just finished by the time we got to it mm-hmm. and then we were able we moved the property i want to say that one was moved in a month and a half but most of the properties we deal with are moved um oh somewhere right around 10 to 14 days occasionally you have spurts up to three weeks to a month so basically, we're getting into a market again where price matters less to a lot of folks than down payment, monthly payments, and can I get the house 
I want and because I get, yep. this is the only way. Uh, this is the only way to do it. And as long as you're disclosing and they are clearly able to make an intelligent decision that, yes, I know I'm, quote, overpaying for this house by $20,000. I don't care. It's still less than rent. It's still the house I want. It's still going to work out for me. You know, there's one other. Disclose, yeah, one other disclose, disclose, disclose. Um, and actually, we, Dave, unfortunately, we are completely out of time. So there's like okay. there's actually like 10 other things I'd like to ask you. But we're just going to have to lead people to come see you at the Ohio RIA convention all day on November 3rd. More information about that in a couple of weeks. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.